have a nice time with your temper I hope you find life together that you please And now I won't have to keep you at my throat or at my feet You will not keep me on my guard or on my knees I think we had a nice time in November As I recall we did enjoy the falling leaves But we watched the winter rolling and take everything we'd stolen from the optimists and altruists and thieves And now your head is off somewhere starting fires And your heart is spitting into the sea Okay, so Laura Clean. She can be found on Bud to Blossom Life Design. Uh, her website, I'll give you the uh, www at the end. So this is how her bio reads. Hi, I'm Laura Klein. I know what it's like to feel like your world is falling apart. Several years ago, my marriage ended suddenly. As I was reeling from the divorce, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. She passed away just two short months later. My roots were gone, losing these two important relationships in my life at once. During this extremely trying time, I was also shouldering the profound responsibility of being a primary caregiver for my brother, who has special needs. As all of this devastation was happening around me, I found a small bit of beauty growing in the cracks of my life. New love with a new man. He ended up being my husband. What saved me? My inner resilience. Through life coaching, I rediscovered my inner guidance and strength. I was able to use the inquiry tools I learned through my coach training. My internal guidance was always there and it has already helped me survive and thrive through tough life circumstances. My growth was sometimes painful during this intense grieving process, but I found amazing ways to reboot my life. I could not have imagined my life now back during that dark and difficult time. Today the sun shines and I've relocated to a lush new state, New Hampshire, where I'm happily married to a wonderful man. I am a stepmom, have a wonderful local community, and a great new group of supportive friends. I've also found excellent services for my brother to encourage his independence. The seeds have been planted and now I'm living in a world I cultivated through coaching. I flourish by teaching my clients the same inquiry tools I use to revive myself. It is so rewarding to help other women grow through their hardships and reshape their lives. Through my individual coaching sessions, workshops, and groups, I offer my clients ways to relish their own beautifully flawed lives. Using a balance of gentle investigation and tough love, I meet my clients where they are as they take the cultivated risks necessary to refine their lives. I am a loving gardener, using my insights, skills, sparkle, and my own life experience to help clients. Even in the most heartbreaking and complicated situations, there is flourish. In addition to being a Martha Beck certified coach, I've spent many years intensely studying spiritual and mindfulness practices. I'm an experienced meditation instructor and workshop facilitator. When I'm not coaching, leading a workshop, or working as a library director, I love to plant the seeds of change with my words as well. You can find me performing with my husband in our rock band, The Daylilies. Hmm, sensing a theme yet? I love working with kindred spirits, creatives, and other nonconformists. I can't wait to talk to you. Laura Clean, life coach. She is www.budtoblossom.net. And uh, you can see her services and her more about her on her website. So I'm really excited, and I hope you enjoy our conversation today. And now your head is off somewhere starting fires And your heart is melting into 
This is Hi Felicia Podcast. I am your host, Felicia Ryan, in the basement of MAT and all MAMAT. MATV in all its glory. Today I have my friend, super coach, musician extraordinaire, Laura Klein. I read your bio previous to this. So. Oh. So people will know that I know you um, because of your um, role in the Daylilies. That was our originally our connection and the fact that we both train with MBI. Yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> I still remember that day when I was sort of just getting into the band and I was kind of looking up everybody in the band and then I saw that um, Adam Goodwin, our drummer, was in a relationship with you because at the time I think you guys were not yet fiancé. Fiancé, true. Yes. So, and I saw I saw your picture and I was like, wait a minute. I've seen her on MBI stuff. This is so cool. And I remember I was... Oh, you had. I didn't yeah, I realize had. that. Yeah, I had. And um, and so I said to Matt, my husband, who is the bassist, as you know, in mm-hmm. the band, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally know. I mean, I don't know, but I, I know who Adam's lady is. She's a, another MBI coach. She's so cool, you know. And uh, I remember I had seen some of your comments and things and that you were friends with Jessica Stewart. Mm-hmm. And I was like total fangirling. I was... and. I don't know. It was just really cool. Oh, that's cool. funny. I took it as a sign. I took it as a sign that, you know, the Day of Lilies was going to be a good thing and that my move down to Massachusetts was a good thing because I could find some like-minded people. And, yeah, it was really cool. So <clears throat> I thought, I don't know that we, you and I had a particular topic in mind, but we just spent a good uh, 10 or 15 minutes talking about health issues. So mm-hmm. I will just say up front that um, my poor sound editor, thank you, Heather, for all you do. You are a glorious God. Um, that we both are getting over the plague, which everybody <laughs> we know has had. So there may be coughing, <laughs> sniffling, and or tissue using, or um, I actually have a cough drop in my mouth right now. So if that's gross to the listeners, too bad. Everybody I know is sick, and this is what you do when you're sick. So, <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> I'm trying not to cough right now. Um, if you need yeah. to, it's okay. I'll just turn your sound level down. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'll be quick on the boards. <laughs> so... Um, one of the things that one of uh, all the pretty much every guest that I've had on so far, we've talked about the idea that nobody has like a really good ev- elevator speech for what they do because they do so many different things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're one of those perfect people that does so many different things. So when you're out and about and someone says the dreaded question, what do you do? Like, how do you answer that question for people? Yeah, you know, I've always struggled with that elevator speech thing um, because I feel like, and what I usually come up with is I say, you know, I really love helping people get to the next stage in their life, whether that's changing a career or building better relationships or increasing their creativity or increasing their confidence and that that's my passion. So I usually focus on the fact that it's my passion because it is. And I find that 
the clients that I attract all have different things that they're working on, but they tend to be a certain personality type, mm -hmm. which tends to be someone like me, um, people that are overcommitted, that tend to book up pretty much every minute of their day, which I am guilty of doing, thus the, you know, uh, librarian, life coach, rocker, um, <laughs> you name it, you know, writing all this stuff. So I tend to uh, attract people that are like me, that are energetic, driven people who tend to say yes too much, and but really like saying yes. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I think I do struggle with the elevator speech because I don't really sometimes even know what I do. I guess it's more of an intuition Yeah. where someone will come to me. I just did a consultation the other night and I hung up the phone with this person and I was so high. I just, I just loved connecting with her so much and I could tell that she was somebody who I could really work well with and she's, you know, she's going to sign up. She's, you know, we're going to start working together, but I was trying to piece together what exactly it was that I did while we were on the phone. And I think that for me personally, the thing that I really do is connect with people. Mm -hmm. And I think in our society, there are so many places in our lives where we're not really connecting. And I'm not trying to say that to, to make it sound like society's bad or that people are isolated, but I do feel like presence with a capital T yeah. is really something that people crave, but they don't even know that they need it. That's such a beautiful encapsulation, I think, of the work that you do as a library director. You've talked a lot about the fact that it's, and I have other friends who are librarians as well, that it's, um, it's a lot of folks that go in there are kind of starved for human connection. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a kind of like a conduit, isn't it? It's kind of like the bartenders of the, mm. of the daytime world. You know, we have a lot of, I have tons of people that come into the library that I basically gorilla life coach, you know? And uh, yeah. so we have a lot of people who, you know, families with young kids, there might be moms who are struggling with being a stay-at-home mom and they don't get a lot of adult time and they feel like they're rushing and pushing and always trying to, to get to the next thing for their kiddos. We have a lot of people who are retired and maybe um, have lost a spouse and we are part of their weekly trip out into the world. And yeah. so uh, I actually do a lot of tech support for older people. And so I have a lot of, uh, a lot of older women and men coming in, they've got a new device, their, you know, their, their daughter or their son bought them a new Kindle and they don't know how to use it. And a lot of times it ends up being a nice kind of just a social time with them. Yeah. So I show them some things, but really they tell me about their, ch their children and their grandchildren. They share with me some things, a trip they're getting ready to, t to take or some memory of, you know, their lives. And it's really, it's a people oriented job. So it's a nice way for me if I'm going to have like a day job and have my life coaching that I get yeah. to be able to connect with people. And uh, gosh, there's so many directions that I could take that in. But one thing I would say is a beautiful tribute. So the Daylilies are a relatively new band as a formation, but you guys have all in different musicianships have been playing out for a long time. 
or, 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 or seasoned pros. When you guys played a show in New Hampshire in the sphere of your uh, library, you could tell how beloved you were by the community. That place was packed and it was all ages and it was like kids and they were like so obviously that was a kid band that opened for you guys, but they were so excited to see you play. And that was like a lovely tribute to um, you as being part of that community. The people showed up like that. So yeah, I was blown away actually. I really was. That space was so cool. Tell, tell me about yeah, that. So space that's again. the Lawrence barn. It's a renovated barn that is on town property. A, um, the Lawrence family in Hollis actually donated the barn. It was disassembled and reassembled and then renovated um, so it was moved from their property and put onto the town property, and it's used as a venue. So we had that space, and uh, yeah, the uh, the summer reading program last summer was called Libraries Rock. So of course I had to pull that string. Very nice, because if you have a librarian who happens to be in a rock band, and the, right. and the, and the summer reading theme is Libraries Rock, you can't miss that opportunity. So yeah, um, I think about 110 people showed up that, that day. So awesome! There were kids in pajamas, and there were ladies on walkers. Oh my God, they yeah. were so excited too. It was just, it was adorable, and it was. You guys played a really good show, but oh, it was nice. like, yeah. it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was so weird too because it was like my worlds collided. You know, I feel that feeling a lot because. Also, because I write uh, a column for the Nashua Telegraph mm-hmm. under the auspices of my life coaching business, mm-hmm. and they started printing it in this little journal, the Hollis Brookline Journal. So actually, in my community where I work, there's this little journal that comes out once a month, and on the front is a little picture of my face, <laughs> and it's in the library, right? So the journal's in the library, so all these people in the library are like, I read your article, that was great, and then and then there's other people saying, your band was really cool last summer, and so it was just this weird yeah. world colliding, and, and all the different hats that I wear were all on the same they're all in the same day. So it's like, I'm out, you know, <laughs> I, I used to think of myself as sort of being like this double agent, like, well, I'm a librarian, but really I'm a life coach. And I, you know, but then it's like, it's now it's all out. And uh, everybody just kind of knows that I'm just this crazy lady that just does everything and never sleeps. You know, <laughs> I have this reputation. They're like, where do you, when do you do these things? And I'm always like, well, I really don't know. <laughs> This is great. This is a great podcast. This is the I don't know life coach. <laughs> this is the uh, fly by the seat of your pants life coach. It's hard. I think those things are hard to quantify sometimes. And uh, some of the things that um, other guests and I had also talked about was this idea that like, it's okay to sort of blend a lot of different things together and um, happily own them, even if they seem disjointed or they don't necessarily make sense. And Actually, um, the guest before you was Michael Trotta. So Michael Trotta and I had talked about um, this idea of not not necessarily calling yourself a coach and not necessarily being embarrassed by saying you're a coach, but that it's, uh, at least for me, it's not, it doesn't encompass or encapsulate everything that I do. Um, and it's a very, for me, at least it's a smaller slice of what I do. Like Michael thinks of himself as teacher, educator, mm-hmm. mentor, and coach. Mm-hmm. I think some of the work that I do um, with one-on-one clients, I consider that coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, coaching. Um, but I do writing, I do editing, I do podcasting. Right. Um, thing, you know, 
I'm and I've been doing a lot of workshops. <laughs> you know, I've been I've been practicing mindfulness for 25 years. I love meditation. It's a passion, and I have seen such benefits in my life, such a deep sense of peace, even in, in times of complete turbulence. Mm. And so recently I've started teaching mindfulness and that has been something completely different. And I don't know if I would, I would call that coaching. That's a little yeah. different, but it's still, it's still in that realm of trying to give people tools to make their lives better and connecting with them on a deep level. So I've yeah. started doing that and uh, workshops, retreats, those sorts of things. And it's interesting. I love that you mentioned the convergence because there was a long time where I had a feeling that if I brought my coaching self to my library job, that somehow I wouldn't be considered serious. I wouldn't be considered a professional, that people would think that was strange or they would, um, you know, just that somehow it would be it would be counted against me in my field. And when I came to the Hollis Social Library where I work now and I've worked for three years, I made the decision when I took that position as the director that I really wanted to be myself. Mm. And it's been amazing because yeah. that place, I love going there every day. And it has become like this expression in a way, not that it's my library, but because right. I formulate the management and I create the work environment from yeah. the from the top, it's just, it is. It's this cool, wacky, fun, warm, fuzzy place. And yeah. people comment all the time, I just love coming here. I always feel so happy when I leave. You know, yeah. you guys just have the best customer service. I always feel so welcome here. And I realized... You know, I realized that I could bring the different aspects of my own personality right. into whatever I do. Right. And even in the day lilies, again, I have sort of a wacky, fun-loving, joyful side. And in the past, in other rock bands, I've always felt like I had to be serious, you know, <laughs> and I had to be, like, cool. And in this band, I just... I just show up and I have so much fun. And, yeah, you, you know, a comment that I get yeah. is, you guys just look like you're having so, so much fun up there. I am. I am joyfully singing. Right. And I think that that, I think if I were going to encapsulate anything that's powerful about life coaching and the things that I've learned from reading all the books that I've read and going through the MBI training, is that how can you authentically integrate all yeah. of the parts of you and show up as who you are in different situations as who you are. Right, right. And that feels really great, you know. And that's why I love my job at the library because I feel like I can be who I am. I dress like a rock star. They all, they're all like, wow, you know, I have purple yeah, hair. exactly. Yeah, so. Um, and they have embraced it too. And, yeah. And I think that, but I think that's also the trick of authenticity is that, the closer that you are to being true and sort of being out with who you are. And obviously we all have days where confidence sort of wanes or we're not necessarily feeling ourselves or, but if you can be authentic with that, people always respond. Well, I think it, if you're comfortable in your own skin, yeah, it puts other people at ease yeah. and then they feel like they can be themselves. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's like Martha Beck says, you know, about the tuning fork. I love that analogy that she uses where when your tuning fork is vibrating at a certain level Mm -hmm. and you meet someone else, their tuning fork is going to want to resonate with yours. Mm -hmm. So if you're coming from a place of really, truly being present with someone and interested and just tell me who you are, then they feel that opening. And I feel like that's where you can really magically kind of change the world in a small way. And what you were saying, too, is really interesting, where, um, you know, you always had that concern previously about being judged for uh, being kooky or fun or, you know, having the purple hair or whatever. And there is, I, I think there is another element to authenticity where we're we're not completely discounting what other people are saying, but perhaps we're not paying as close attention to that as we are to what we're thinking and what we're feeling. Yeah. And when you present that to other people, like you said, I think it allows them to um, perhaps lighten up, perhaps share. You're creating a little bit of a an opening there. I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> It was so deep. I just it's the codeine. (laughs) I didn't take codeine today. (laughs) Oh, I didn't take. I did take some at my work job the other day, though, at the library. I was so desperate that I actually took some codeine, and by about twelve o'clock, I was just watching a puppy video on my computer, (laughs) and uh, someone came in my office, and I was just like, "Oh, hey." I'm just watching this puppy video. I mean, just, but that... Well, the other thing the doctor's been giving me, um, I've been having back issues, which has created uh, pain and numbness and some foot drop. And uh, the doctor had been giving me um, gabapentin, which is a fairly strong medication. And it it does, if you take, you have to take enough of it so that it's consistently in your bloodstream for it to be effective, but it has to do with nerve pain, affecting nerve pain. And it does make you loopy. Like, (laughs) so I haven't taken it for a few days because I ran out of the prescription and I had a spinal injection. This is all lovely, Doc. Don't worry about it because we have also talked about poop on this show, so I don't feel like this is anything outside. Oh, yay! (laughs) Darn, I missed the poop show. (laughs) That was Lisa McColgan and I. Um, But it's it's strange how, like, medication affects you. Like, we're talking talked earlier about like I had a steroid injection I have been hangry and like just cruising for a bruising with almost anybody so they're you know it's crazy (laughs) our bodies are so miraculous though I mean just thinking about how just taking a tiny little pill and like how that works and goes throughout your body and changes everything so you know just, it's I'm just waiting kind of for amazing. something like I'm waiting for the healing to begin. So perhaps <laughs> with this conversation, the healing can begin for both of us. I'm like, I'm so over whatever this plague is. I'm so over it. You know, I was trying to think about, you know, what the lesson was for me, not to like go all, you know, whatever. But, right. you know, when you're sitting in your bed for your 12th day in a row, coughing up your lung, it's, it's sort of like, what can a lesson be in this for me? And I know for myself, I tend to overcommit and I push myself Mm. and I have this kind of, you know, fortunately I do have a mindfulness practice, which has saved me because I feel like if I wasn't a person that had that, I could easily be one of those people just working 80 hours a week and driving a hundred miles an hour and having a heart attack at 50. You know, I think I could have been that person if I hadn't stumbled across 
mindfulness. But I was trying to think about what the blessing and the curse could be from this. And I feel like, in a way, it just made me slow down and have to really consider that my body does whatever I want it to do all the time. And it runs around with me on all these various tasks and to-do lists and Mm -hmm. crazy hours and here and there and doing all this stuff. And just to appreciate the fact that it really works perfectly most of the time. Yeah. And that I needed to respect the fact that it always comes there, you know, it always comes to attention for me and really just trying to, even though I don't have days and days to rest, just being conscientious about the fact that, you know, thank you. Thank you for trying to keep me going. Thank you for being healthy. Thank you for working most of the time and just trying to think about how I can make better decisions to, to appreciate more. Uh, I mean, that's not going through my mind all the time. (laughs) Also, I'm like, you know, bleep, 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 bleep. You know, I'm just bleeping it out because I knew that the editor would have to bleep it. You know, there was plenty of that. This is public access. (laughs) We can fucking swear on here. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you know, waking up and being like, what the fuck? Uh, What the fuck, lungs? You know, can you please, uh, can you please just stop being filled with gunk? Um, And also, I, I shared with you earlier, you know, I finally went on to some steroids and you know, I had the, uh, not, not the hangry, more like just the want to kill something. You know, yeah. food didn't even enter into it. It was just, she is just pure rage. And, um, you know. Why just, do steroids make us angry? I think it depends on the person. And um, I think, you know, it's just that kind of the the angsty stuff. Yeah. And uh, But I also noticed that I had a few crying jags as well. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. like, I saw this thing about the penguins, you know, in Antarctica, and they lost all the babies, and I just lost it. Oh, I, I lost it. There's a penguin video going around, and it's all, like, different penguins falling off of things. Oh. It is. So, watch so that. that. Would be so, like watch a feel-good one. Yeah, yeah, watch that one instead, because yeah. it's really funny. Yeah. But it was, like... It was it was put out by a friend that I know that has chronic illnesses. And this is like in no way, shape or form am I trying to say this is the same thing. However, when you have any kind of issue that's sustained for over a long period of time, like my back issue has been since the fall, I've been sick now for four weeks. All I can think of is, oh, my God, this must be what it must be like to have some sort of sustained, prolonged, like, coping with that, like, like, where's my new normal kind of right. thing? Like, and the idea that, <clears throat> you know, my body just wasn't kicking it, kicking it out quickly enough or... Um, I took Friday off. I got up with the dog. I went back to bed. I slept almost all day because I was also starting to get an issue with my eyes. So I don't know if it was like a seasonal allergy thing or like the the, re- the remnants of whatever this thing is running through and coming out my eyes. But I was like, oh my god, I can't, I can't look at the computer because my eyes, my eyes actually hurt. So I was just like, okay, done. I'm done. I get the message, whatever the message is. I'm going into the bed, and I'm staying there. I think it's a good reminder, you know, that we are not robots. We function as such most of the time. I actually, I just saw an article yesterday, and I I actually kind of tagged it because I want to go back and read it. And it was talking about how working long hours, you know, as a culture, we we pride ourselves on working these long hours and, you know, the toll that it takes on our, on our bodies, our psyches, our relationships, our, 
our uh, psycho-spiritual, you know, relationship with ourselves. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, in a way, illness can be a good reminder that we need to slow down. And I also had the same thought because I've been sick now for almost six weeks. And I thought, wow, you know, what if this was my normal? I what know. What if this was my normal? How do you? And, how, and, and I can see how people could become very depressed yeah. because you're used to a certain thing. And then all of a sudden you're not able to do those things. And I started to think about, you know, the, some of the elderly people that I work with at the library and yep. how they've had to readjust to their new normal. And that sometimes that means not getting out of the house every day or not being able to do the things they used to do. And, and that's why um, I think it's really important to be able to be flexible and yep. to be able to reevaluate and never take things for granted and just kind of keep, keep looking at each day, you know, just waking up and saying, you know, what is today or right. you know, being in the now. There was a um, the couple of days that were really beautiful out. Uh, I, I live right on a bike path and I love to use my bike and go out for walks or whatever. And I was out with the dog and I felt I felt like relatively awesome compared to where I had had been. And I was like, oh, we're going to go out and we're going to be out for hours and we're going to for this long walk and we were like halfway into our normal walk and I was like oh no I'm not going to do that <laughs> like but I also sort of like people were run, people were jogging and mm-hmm. like doing normal activities and I could find myself like getting a little bit like who do they fucking think are <laughs> running like here I am I can barely <laughs> walk without a limp and at the time the dog was also limping and I was like oh even my, gosh, my dog is limping and I was just like, I hate everybody right now. And I, <laughs> and, and I was like looking at trash on the floor. And I was like, everyone is gross. I'm <laughs> gross. Like, and but it was like enough to be like, you know, not to live in that in that state, but also be a little bit like, I'm I'm just mad right now. Like, who am I mad at? Like, I guess mm-hmm. I'm kind of mad at myself. Mm-hmm. But I was like, in my moment, uh, I was mad at the person running and I was mad at the people littering and I was mad at all those people who put shopping bags in their recycling bin. I hate, fucking hate that. <laughs> well, and I, and I think that's the other thing is like, you know, being honest and not trying to sugarcoat it or spiritually bypass things. Yes. You know, like I said earlier, I've been thinking, um, you know, about, okay, I take my health for granted, but I've also been having plenty of moments of like, what the fuck? This is, this is enough already. And yeah. You know, so I think it's important to just admit exactly where you are. And that's part of that authenticity thing, yeah. you know, and like, um, just being, uh, exactly how you are. I actually discovered a new artist who I love, Lizzo. She's a really great singer. You should check her out. And um, she's got a song called Exactly How I Feel on her new album. <laughs> came out. And it's just great, you know, and it's just like, I may have woken up and I'm a bitch today. Or maybe I'll make a friend. But you know what? That's just exactly how I feel. And I think that's that's yeah. important. And it's not about abusing other people, you know, or just right. being Oh, I didn't yell at anybody right. when I was thinking. I was just thinking those things. Maybe I said them to the dog. But I didn't yell at anybody. You know, and the thing <laughs> is, too, is... is I think sometimes there's a disconnect when if I'm in a bad mood, but I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I'm yeah, fine. Yeah. That doesn't feel good. It just feels like you're betraying yourself. And right. it doesn't really, nobody else 
thinks you're fine. If you're just being a passive aggressive bitch, you know, you're not fine. (laughs) And when you don't feel fine, oh, so this is a good question for you. So when you don't feel fine and somebody asks you, how are you doing? How do you answer that question? I actually just, uh, a friend of mine called me on the way here today and I told her I'm just okay. I said, you know, I kind of feel like shit physically, but mentally I'm actually having a good day. I'm looking forward to going and seeing my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I... I really, unless it's just a quick exchange, I generally will say the truth. Now, I'm not going to launch into a whole description of why I don't feel well, but I'm definitely You could just cough stuff up and show them. Pretty much. Pretty much. At work, at the library, it's been like, they're like, how are you today? And I answer them with a cough, crouch down on the floor, and wave my hand and say, good, good. I'm good today. Um, so, no, I try to be pretty truthful, but it's not about, like, let me tell you how I am. I'm, I am the worst. Um, let me tell no. you. Wait, I'm waiting for the steroids to kick in now. <laughs> yeah. There was um, a, a coach uh, that we probably have in common, uh, uh, Sarah, Sarah Bramford. Oh, Sarah Seidemann, yeah. 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 So, um she does the thing where she says gratitude attack, and mm-hmm. then she has I love people that. name things. Yeah. So I had that gratitude attack, and I had posted recently. I said, I always envisioned some sort of hobbity little creature running out of the wilderness going, name three things you're grateful for. Oh. And, um, and I had my gratitude list was my dog is generally a good, we say he's mostly a good boy. So he's mostly a good boy, um, but he has some behavior issues that we're going to be working with a, a dog behaviorist with him on. And so my, one of my things I was grateful for is he won't use his crate, but he's afraid of the box that the crate came in. So I used the box to keep him away from things. Oh, so that's I was, great. I was grateful for the box. Yeah. Not in a way to torment him, but obviously, he, I, I actually, I can put the box against the doorway and it will keep him out because he's afraid of the box. There you go. Or um, I'll put it on the couch and he's he won't get up on the couch because he's afraid of the box. <laughs> Not that, like, for whatever reason, the box just scares him. That's funny. I was also grateful for, and now I can't remember the other things I was grateful for. Oh, that I was upright. That was a good thing. Mm-hmm. So being upright. I really think gratitude right is so important. And I know people sometimes roll their eyes, but, you know, it's just we have so many things that go right for us every day in our lives. Yes. And the human condition is a negative bias. We're always looking out for the next thing. You know, I mean, we're, you know, it's that fight or flight. It's right. that that preservation and that's a good thing but we tend to focus so much on the all the bad news and all the things that aren't going right when most of the time everything's going really well right and we have so much and I'm not saying that I want to avoid the things that aren't going well but I can certainly find more things to be grateful for if I'm looking for things right so I mean on a on a and it's like I also think, and I've actually written a couple of articles about the whole gratitude thing. I think people sometimes, if they're not used to writing in a little gratitude journal or whatever, they think they have to think of some grandiose thing. You know, I've said uh, that I was grateful for, you know, fingernail clippers. You know, just like right. there's just so many things. There's so many ways that we are able to make ourselves comfortable in our lives that just, right. if we didn't have just one of those things, 
you know, that would be a problem. A stone in my shoe, you know, right. if I had a stone in my right. shoe. So it's like just this idea of when you're looking for things to go right, it's easier to find other things that are going right. Right, right. And the, and like you said, like even for me recently, you know, having health, some health challenges, it's this idea that like this is these are not these not necessarily are not chronic conditions right now like this is like i don't have a, a life ending illness like i i don't know that i can particularly be grateful for them however i can say oh you know perhaps it's informing me i need to slow down or rest or to, you know take some better care but I'm also, I, I can be extremely grateful for the fact that these are not permanent conditions. Mm-hmm. Like they have and will get better over time. Perhaps not as quickly as I want them to. <laughs> right. But I can be grateful for those things. So it doesn't, like you're saying, it doesn't have to be like schmaltzy, sugary. No. Like everything is sunshine. You know? I think sometimes people, you know, they get a bad impression like sometimes you know people might think that because I focus on the positive or whatever that I'm just this person who just is an ostrich and doesn't look at anything else and I've been accused of that before Um, but it's not that it's just that if I'm going to spend my energy and time on something I'd rather that it be on something that is going to add something to my life than take something away and And I feel personally that if I'm going to be able to be a functional member of society and do things that matter to me, it's, you know, everybody needs some sunshine. And maybe that's one of my roles is to be the sunshine. And then for other people, they're the ones that are the pragmatists, that are the ones that are saying, oh, my God, did you see what happened in the news? And uh, I think that one of my gifts is being able to see what happened in the news, but then that's not what I focus on and talk about. I, I... you know, can be a cheer, like a little, a cheerfulness in somebody's day. And that's sort of how I would prefer to spend my energy and time, not necessarily focusing on what I don't have or what's, you know, not going right. Um, even though I have, you know, plenty of, of, uh, of stuff that I wish would be different. The other thing that's been interesting, I love Michael Singer and his book, The Untethered Soul. I think that that book, which I have been listening to, um, on Audible, and I've read it a, a bunch of times. I think that he has such a, a wonderful way of talking about how the voice in the head that we have, how it affects us, and also how it's important to understand what you can and cannot control. Mm. And I've been really recently focusing on that. And I know the word surrender is like Nobody likes that word. Surrender, just surrender. And I've been sort of thinking about that and meditating on that and what that means for me in my life in the sense of what can I control and what is not within my control. Mm -hmm. And I think that where a lot of us get into trouble is when we want to control things that aren't beyond our realm of being able to control. Yeah, yeah. And so I've been focusing a lot lately on trying to accept what is happening and accept where things are, like with my health, you know, and some other things. And what can I actually do about it? 
and then what is beyond my control. And when there's right. a, a relinquishment of wanting to control the world, there's just a, a deeper sense of peace. And it's not giving up. It's not like, well, I can't do anything about it. It's more like, okay, at this point in time, I am not well physically. Mm-hmm. And rather than have some sort of a story about how shitty that is and how it's unfair and I don't want it and I wish it would be better and why did this have to happen and this is so awful, I can say, okay, that is all true, but I cannot just snap my fingers right now and make myself healthier. And all of this other bullshit that I am piling on top of myself about it is not making me feel better. So I do have control over whether or not I think all that shit and pile it on top of myself. And so I make an effort to say, all right, I'm sick. That's a fact. The fact is I'm sick. I'm just going to try to deal with it. And so there's just this, there's this deeper sense of peace in this, it's the way that I'm not trying to control something that is, it's futile. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, <clears throat> I think, um, one of my other guests uh, was a yoga teacher, Rachel Lento, and I'm pretty sure she was mentioning his book because <clears throat> she had just been reading it, but it was that idea of control and what, where we can impact change, where we can't, where we actually sort of um, the idea of what we choose to believe and what is really like beyond us. that's that's really hard that's like it sounds like a really simplistic thing but it's so hard and it can really be hard in when you're in the middle of something like challenging health or some sort of disappointment and um like we said earlier when you're when you're more or less rageful because you've been pumped in the spine with steroids, <laughs> but everything just feels a little more inflamed too. So that's mm-hmm. sometimes like how in those situations does mindfulness help you, or what what kind of practice do you use that helps you sort of break out of that thinking? Yeah, I think that mindfulness is super helpful in that sense because you know, and in all the the mindfulness classes and workshops I talk about, I always talk about the breath as an anchor. I mean, we're always breathing and it happens automatically. So when you're troubled, when you're having trouble breathing, how do you do that? Well, it's interesting because I've had to track my breathing a lot because every time I breathe out, I have to cough. So I've been trying not to cough every time I breathe out. And so it's actually been kind of interesting because I've been really aware of the mechanics of my breathing. Mm. And I mean, because of the mindfulness, I already kind of have sort of a it's almost like a, a reflex at this point you know mm-hmm. you feel the air going in to your nose and going down your windpipe and into your rib cage and expanding mm-hmm. and then eventually getting into your belly and then you feel that traveling back up and the difference between the air the quality of the air as it exits it's a little warmer mm-hmm. um, and so I think just when you are able to tune in with that rhythm of your body, like even right now as I'm talking to you, your mind and your thoughts become a little less frenetic because you're putting your attention on your actual body. You're getting that out of the top of your head and in that, you know, it's like most of the time we're just like a head dragging some body around on a to-do yes, list. we're meat you know? suits, basically. Yeah. yeah, so if you're able to just even take some time and get familiar with the sensation in your body... 
then by virtue of just your physiological response, your body is so amazing. It's like, oh, hey, she's noticing me. Yeah, here I am. Hi. And so the, the thoughts slow down. And I mean, of course, I've been doing that for so many years that it's, it's like any skill. Like if you go to the gym every week yeah. and then you don't go for a few weeks and you go back, you'll pick it up more quickly than somebody who'd never gone to the gym. But it's still, it's just this idea that by simply noticing something, other than just the story in your head. Right. So, you know, you're really pissed off. You're sitting in traffic. You want to fucking ram the person in front of you because they're taking too long to turn right on red. Don't they know they can turn right on red? Um, And then just noticing, oh, wow, I'm really pissed off right now. And then just breathing and saying and noticing what's actually happening in the moment. And sometimes when you notice that, it's like you're sort of given a little distance from that. Mm. So... Like, even right now, if I were to say, I'm really pissed about this being sick, I'm pissed. So I'm identified with that. It's like, when I say that statement, I am pissed, I am the pissed offness, like I'm in it. It's, mm-hmm. And then if I am able to say, I notice I'm pissed about being sick, there's a little bit of space, because there's, the, there's that watching your own being. Mm-hmm. And then if you even say... I notice I'm thinking that I'm pissed about being sick. There's even more space between the emotion and the passion of the story about the... And so then, that in a nutshell, I think, is what's most helpful about mindfulness is when you're able to take a step back and look at what you're actually doing, then you're not totally identified with it and you're not running away with the story. Right. You know, it's it, what you're talking about, too, is like kind of developing layers to yes. it. Like for me, that idea of allowing or letting go of something or or not feeling so graspy about it is um, coming at it full circle. So it's like doing that 360. So like I can never go in directly to uh, the anger unless I. Uh, sometimes I've been able to do that in therapy and I, I sort of feel like I need I'm not <clears throat> I'm better with a, a guide I'm better because that helps me externalize things mm-hmm. so for me like mindfulness practices like meditation I'm great if I can listen to something mm-hmm. so if I can listen to a sound or so like I need an external like that's just how it works for me <laughs> but with the that idea of letting go of something, I love that idea of, like you're describing, developing layers to it. Mm-hmm. So you're not immediately being like, I'm angry and now I'm not going to be angry anymore because I breathed. <laughs> you're like, I'm angry and I'm going to notice the layers of, can I come at this? Okay, maybe I am angry and... Okay, maybe I'm angry now just because of traffic. Maybe that's the trigger, but maybe it's because something else happened. Or like you're saying, maybe if I'm separating it from it's actually a thought I'm having versus it's the thing that's living in my body right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're doing that and connecting it with breath. That's my favorite thing to work on when I do coaching or any mindfulness with people is just, you know, we have stories that we tell ourselves, thoughts that we say to ourselves that we choose to believe. And the thing that I really love about the human mind is that we have the ability of self-realization and we can actually notice what we are thinking. 
Yeah. You know, that is, that is powerful. It's not easy. Like you said, it's simple. It's simple, but not easy. (laughs) We don't like simple. We like complicated. We want to dissect things, have a plan, 15 steps. We want to be able to know the game plan and we like to make it really complicated, but it simply is about stripping it down and being able to turn your awareness around to be able to look at what is actually going on inside your own mind. And that is, that I think is like a superpower because if you are able to see what you're saying to yourself, which is what drives your behavior, right? Because whatever it is you're telling yourself and you're choosing to believe is what's going to drive your behavior. Right. right. So if you're able to get onto, I call it getting onto yourself. When I work with my clients, you know, you're going to catch yourself and you're onto yourself. Oh, that's what I'm doing. That's my, I'm a failure story. That's what I'm feeding into right now. All right. And then, as you know, I'm very passionate about Byron Katie's work, Mm -hmm. the work, and investigating the stories and the thoughts that I'm telling myself or you're telling yourself in order to just really investigate if they're absolutely true. Mm. And I'm not saying that you have to disbelieve or believe anything, but isn't it interesting that we can, we do have the ability because of this awesome frontal lobe here, which also is is our... um, curse, you know, because it it gives us the ability to worry constantly and predict futures for ourselves or regret the past. Um, But we have the ability to go in there and look at what we're doing and saying to ourselves. And then that means that you can change the story, which is super powerful. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's not like that. It's not like, yeah, just follow your breath and all of a sudden you won't be mad anymore. (laughs) No. And I also think I'm a big proponent of feeling your actual feelings. And I think that many times... You know, if you hold your feelings out at arm's length, you're just going to prolong your suffering. Right. If you allow yourself to really acknowledge what you're actually feeling in the moment, I have found personally that it works its way through. I deal with it and then it goes away. It dissipates. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, if I try to hold it at arm's length, it just gets stuck. And I keep ruminating for days over the fact that someone said something to me. And, well, what did she mean? Versus, I'm really upset that hurt me instead of, well, I'm not going to give her the satisfaction of hurting me. Right. Well, the fact is, it did hurt me, whether I admit it to myself or not. And it's better to get it through and understand it and then let it move through me than try to, to push it away because it's uncomfortable and then have it just lingering in the background. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And it's, it's, um... Like you said, again, like it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. That's meditation in a nutshell, mindfulness in a nutshell. It's simple. Simple is not easy for humans. We don't like simple. Yeah. I had a fantastic conversation the other day with a friend of mine and we were like very much in the zone and she was my first guest on the podcast and she was remarking on a guest I had subsequently who's Adam's cousin, who's very wonderful woman, who's very wise. Um, she would probably be, she would like this title, perhaps Michael Trotter about, talked about being an elder wise. She's an mm-hmm. elder wise. So, um, Maura and I were kind of remarking on her and, um, a fantastic conversation was really loving. 
the connection she was making with Sandy and, and my connection with Sandy. And then Morris said, how are you doing? <laughs> I just said, I'm crappy. I'm, mm-hmm. But it was like, you know, it was like a, it wasn't a cognitive dissonant, but it was this idea that like I could, like you said, have uh, just be very charged up and really enjoying my conversation with my friend and that connection, but also at the same moment being like, oh my God, I'm so over being sick. I'm so tired of it. I was just in that moment also feeling like, Ugh. Yeah. like I and I had I had slept, I had eaten, I had. I was in the car, and I was driving to get like a coffee or something, so I was giving myself a little treat. I was having some connection, friend time, but I also just still felt like... Yeah, that's that's what's awesome about humans. We're so messy. We're so messy we and really multifaceted. Are and <clears throat> I just think that's what I love about humans. I just think that, you know, there's just such a breadth and depth to our experience. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to be alive. It's hard. Yeah. But it's also And we're so, so and beautiful. like in this country too, like we're so lucky, like again, talking up we're I'm talking about like minor things that, you know, I'm not dealing with uh tuberculosis or or hopefully not. Let's mm-hmm. well, knock on what it's not tuberculosis. But like, you know, we get to travel, we get to like I get to record a podcast, mm-hmm. like these are all like life of privilege kind of thing, you know. I have a roof over my head. I don't have to sleep in the yard. Like, you know, I have people who care about me, you know. I'm lucky. Like, I'm really lucky that way. Um, but the thing that's interesting, and this is, this is why, you know, the Buddha talks about suffering, you know, and how it really doesn't matter what your life circumstances are. You could be the most privileged, mm. the most... Uh, you know, the, the rich and famous Hollywood elite and everyone suffers. Everyone has a mind and everyone has problems. And so it's interesting because you can change your life circumstances, but you can still bring that suffering with you everywhere you go. And that's the human condition right there. This idea that yes, we do have roofs over our heads. We have good health generally. We have people that love us. We have first world problems. But this thing about the human mind is it can always find a problem. That's right. what it's good at. It's good at assessing right. and finding problems and trying to solve them. Because right, right. we're not on the savanna anymore. The tiger's not coming to eat us. So right. now we have to worry about see, other things. See, that's what I think about when I see people running. I'm like, <laughs> who is chasing you? This does not seem like a good way to spend your time. And yes, I am jealous of the fact that you can run. <laughs> so you have taken a bunch of trips recently or within the past year that seem like they were amazing. Do yeah. you have anything you would like to share about those trips? Oh, I love traveling so much. I just... If I could just travel all the time, that would be like my dream job. Yeah, I'd be de- I'd be down with that. Yeah, I'd love to be uh, one of those people who just you know writes the travel blogs or whatever, and just goes all over See, the world. See, I don't want any responsibility when I'm traveling. I've thought of it, and I'd be like, oh, that'd be a great way. And I'd be like, no, I don't want to have any responsibilities when I'm traveling <laughs> other than myself. Yeah, I uh, so. Matt and I, we do a fair amount of traveling. We, um, let's see, recently we went to Paris and actually we didn't go into Notre Dame. Oh, you didn't? We had both been there before and we had both been to Notre Dame before and we went by it, but I'm so bummed that we didn't go 
in it. Um, but still, it was a beautiful trip. I absolutely loved it. I love, I love to eat cheese and I love wine. And I just, I love uh, art. Did you, and were culture. you just in Paris the whole time? We actually took a day trip out to a place called Mont Saint Michel, which mm. is this cool, like gothic. I know Mont Saint Michel. This, yeah, we took this uh, it's in the, high It's in an Audrey Hepburn movie. It was cool. We actually slept on the actual Mont Saint Michel. They have a couple oh of hotels gosh. for super tourists, which we were totally fine with being. Um, so it was very gothic and cool. We took the TJV uh, up, you know, the high-speed train and then a bus out to, it's basically um, Normandy, the coast of Normandy. Yep. And then we spent the night there. That was pretty cool. And we did a ton of walking. It was actually great. I was, like, eating everything and drinking everything. And I was like, I lost five pounds, you know, because of I was course. just walking everywhere. Um, and the cheese is just oh. gorgeous. And the fact oh. that... You can live in a country or visit a country that you wake up in the morning and there's like 25 different types of cheese you can have. Oh, my <laughs> like, gosh. Why don't we have that here? I have a couple pictures, actually. Um, we went to Montmartre, which is, you mm-hmm. know, kind of like their version of Brooklyn. Yeah. I love it. It's It was really cool. That was my favorite place. So we went to Montmartre for the last day. And I have a couple pictures of a cheese case. And, I mean, there was there were at least 200 different cheeses in that cheese case. It was it was like ten feet long, this cheese case, and and I just, I just had you know to take pictures, and then I had Matt take a picture of me in front of the cheese case. You oh know, it was just, it was amazing. I remember one of the trips I went to France. There was a promotional video on the plane talking about the regions of. So everyone knows different regions in France have are associated with different types of wine, but every single region in France is also associated with a different type of cheese based on where the cows graze and the types of flowers they eat. And, and I was like, I don't know why, but I thought this was the most fascinating video I'd ever watched. It was like a very dry tourist video, but I was like, I don't think I'd ever realized that there was that much cheese. And I was like, oh, they love their cheese. It's a magical place. Oh, it was. And, you know, it was all so great because I find that the people there are very friendly. And it's just such a walkable, friendly city. And, you know, just sitting out on the... uh, on the sidewalk and the t- the tables, you know, it's so different than here because Americans, we like our space. You know, oh, yeah. we take up a lot of space. But over there, you know, Little I tiny. mean, literally, you're sitting, your elbow yes. is touching the elbow of the person in the seat beside yeah. you. And if they're smoking a cigarette, you're smoking a cigarette. Right. And that's just how it is. And if they have to get up to go to the bathroom, you have to get up to let them out. You know, you're just packed in there like sardines. And I just, I don't know, there's something charming about that. And I just think everything seems much more packed over there. You know, everything's smaller. Everybody has their personal bubbles are smaller. And I guess being the extrovert people person that I am, I just love that. I love being smushed in and just kind of close proximity, you know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was just really, really, really fun. And we got to the Louvre. That was great. I saw the Mona Lisa. I hadn't seen that the last time I went. Oh, my gosh, that was hilarious. I mean, basically. Was there a huge line? I have a picture of the Mona Lisa, and there's like a thousand people between me and the Mona Lisa. And one of the pictures is there's one woman turned, and she totally photobombed it. So, like, it zoomed in on her face. (laughs) And I'm like, 
just this it's just this picture of this one young woman's face and then in the background is the Mona Lisa it was crazy it was crazy it was actually similar when I was trying to get up to close you know close to the Mona yeah. Lisa it was similar to being in a pit at a concert yes I mean it I was literally like yes. you know just I just had to fight my way and I was just a sea of bodies just pushing and along. when you see it you're um because you don't get to spend a ton of time looking at it because everyone People are they, pushing they want to, get, to move yeah, yeah. move you through that it seems um, unremarkable. For me, my experience was it seemed unremarkable. And it was sort of like, what's the big deal? But because it's um, it's so iconic, you feel like you've seen it a bazillion times, you really don't get to spend any time in front of it looking at it and yeah. drinking it in and thinking about it and thinking about what you might know about it or what you mm-hmm. don't know about it or being curious about it because you're just like ushered past it. Right. I think there's a lot of things like that, you know, in the, you know, different pieces of art. And I mean, there was definitely a lot of people just snapping a picture, snapping a picture, snapping a right. picture. And I tried, you know, while that, while I was there, I really tried to look at it, but I mean, it's smaller than you would think. Yes. And I had been told that anyway, and I had been to the Louvre before, but I never got there right. the first time. Um, but yeah, I guess for me, it was more just the idea that it was created so long ago right. and that it's lasted this long and, and it is iconic and she does have that smile, which right, is like, right. what's going on. So, but yeah, it was a little lackluster in the sense of here I am in a sea of people just trying to snap a picture of this right. thing to say I saw it. And, uh, and you know, my favorite parts really when I go traveling anywhere are the people and the culture, just hearing the different language, right, right. the different food, the different vibe. Even people just have different gait, you know. Yeah. They walk differently. Um, and just the just the different smells. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the smell of a different city. And I, I don't know. There's just... Yeah. I like the whole experience. I'm not necessarily just there to see this landmark and this landmark right, and this right. landmark and tick it off a list. I like to drink in the entire... Kind of just like being somewhere yeah. different. It's it's sad too because there's a lot of um, American culture that that's sort of how we travel. Is we have a checklist and yeah. we, you know we have to check off X number of things that we have seen. I have always want when I travel, I always want to see the hidden whatever. Mm-hmm. I want to see the off the beaten path, and there's yeah. definitely parts of seeing the the sites that everyone else has seen or the things that are famous that are interesting. But I'm always interested in seeing like that little, like you said, the cheese shop with the hundreds of cheeses or whatever. Do you have many trips coming up? Yes, we've actually been planning our next trip, which is to Iceland. Nice. In June. Have you guys ever been? No. That's been on my list for a long time. I've been to Reykjavik. Oh, I'm so excited. And I did, I did like what they call the Golden Circle yeah, tour. Yeah, we're going to be doing the Golden Circle. So we're, we're going to be staying for a week. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, right in Reykjavik? No, we're just, um, we're actually the first couple of nights, we got this awesome Airbnb that's just this little shack in the middle of a field. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. I'm totally sleeping outside. Because when we're going to be there, it's light until 11 p.m. Yep. And there are no poisonous snakes and no nope. poisonous spiders. No. Nope. So, and no mosquitoes, apparently. Nope. So, I'm totally sleeping outside on the ground. I already told Matt, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to hang out with you guys, and then I'm sleeping out under the stars, whatever the stars are. I guess I'll sleep out under the sun.
fun. And, you know, because it gets dark at like 11 o'clock at that time. Yeah. But so the first couple nights, um, it's in a part of the Golden Circle. So we rented a car. We're going to do the driving, you know, do the stuff. Yep. And then um, we're going to continue up and we're going to do sort of the, the southern half. I think of the country. Okay. So we're going to go up to like Vic and all along the coastline there and see, you know, all the super cool. Oh, the puffins and everything. Natural. Yep. I want to do the puffin thing. And then, you know, they have black sand beaches and hot springs. Gorgeous. There's just so much cool natural stuff mm-hmm. there. Um, but the last two nights we're staying in Reykjavik. Okay. And so uh, I'm excited about that too, but I actually, for in Iceland, I really want to see the natural beauty because mm-hmm. I feel like that is it's just there's so many different there's such a variety in such a small area yeah and uh and actually i was just talking to matt the other night because we're kind of planning we usually do we don't do like tour type of things but we might do like one day tour or something so i found this thing where you can ride icelandic horses i've done that through a lava field Field. (laughs) i'm super the most amazing thing i've ever done well, I'm very glad to hear that from somebody that I know. I just think it looks amazing. And I you know, the courses so cool. are really interesting. They're shaggy. Yeah, they look like shaggy ponies. They do look like shaggy ponies. They're very friendly. They have an extra gait called a trot. That's what I thought about, <laughs> and I want to try that. But they, uh, I was there in um, October, so it was only light from about 10 to 3. And oh, we wow. did get we did get to see the northern lights. Yeah, we won't be able to see the northern lights while we're there, unfortunately, because that's not the time of year. But but it was like sleeting and raining and snowing. Yeah, and I was so I did the opposite. I was mostly in Reykjavik, and then we would go out for day tours to do Golden Circle stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we did the the Icelandic um, horses, and they're lovely and shaggy. And I wanted to bring about four of them home with me, um, but we were riding through like. Uh, lava fields that had mm-hmm. cooled over many, many, many years ago and had like lichen and moss on them and it was like sleeting rain and like it was just, it was like crazy magical. Like it was I've never been so like physically cold but also been like, oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Um, it just kind of, you know, and Matt and I both love to hike and everything, so Perfect the, country you know, for it. Yeah. And we actually went to Costa Rica last year, which was oh, amazing. Gosh, so we, that was another year. natural kind of, we did a lot of hiking and things. And, but did I you get bit by a spider there? Um, I think I did because I had a what I thought was a bug bite on my ring finger, and it lasted for about a year. <laughs> it just went away. Like a couple, I mean, I'm serious. It was like ridiculous. You and but, bugs. Um, why are the bugs biting you? And I why don't know. Are, you just, your body has that kind of reaction to things I'm probably. I'm very sweet, Felicia. Yes, of course. I'm a tasty bite. Um, so... It, you well, know, you're I will lucky say, you're not going to get any mosquitoes. Well, that's why I was going to say that the thing about Costa Rica was I was just a little bit nervous the whole time that something was going to kill me. <laughs> or mostly I was nervous that something was going to kill Matt because he's very curious. And he would lean in, you know, and, and <laughs> to be things. taking a picture of this super poisonous baby snake <laughs> on this tour that we were on. And I was like, get away from that, stop it. <laughs> you know, It's going to kill you. Yeah. So I'm really excited because I think... Um, Iceland doesn't have really anything deadly, so I can sleep out on the ground and not worry about dying or whatever. And uh, But if I were going to die, I suppose it would be exciting to die in Iceland in a field. <laughs> rather I than, think you'll be you good. Know, and yeah. if you like, if you're like, 
places to go where people are so nice. Oh my God, so nice, so friendly. Everyone speaks English in in Iceland. Um, everybody does kind of look like Bjork. <laughs> um, but I remember walking down the street and being people being like whatever the Iceland like I studied Icelandic but it's very difficult to speak it and I remember like talk which means thank you or hello right and people being like good good morning like you know it sounds a little like Scandinavian Swedish when they say it to you and you're like oh okay and just smiling mm-hmm. and being like yeah thumbs up mm-hmm. <laughs> but like um being in downtown Reykjavik and being like in the shopping area and people being like leaving their baby carriages outside and like um whenever you go under a bridge there's a little troll or a fairy house to I so that the trolls that. like don't play tricks on you yeah. but you go into a store and you look down and usually to the left or the right there's a little like thing for the for the house troll wow and i was I'll like keep an eye oh out for that. yeah oh that's yeah that's cool it's a very like very much into like magical realism like trolls and elves and fairies and ogres and things like that so yeah well and i know that Reykjavik is a place where a lot of brit rock bands hang out yes i love the band sigurros they're icelandic i love bjork um and i know that radiohead tends to hang out there and stuff so i mean secretly not so secretly i'm hoping that maybe i might be walking by somewhere or maybe i'll be having dinner in a pub and then i might just see you know tom york or something ever a country that i could get like an artist in residence it would be it would be iceland and just be in reykjavik yeah like great place to write um well, just this was a lovely conversation. Just in a way of wrapping up, is there yeah, anything wow. else you would like to share? Wow, Any so parting thoughts? Thank you. This has been awesome. This just feels like a talk in your living room. Yes, we ran the gamut. We we, we usually do, but yes, yeah. I knew. You, see, I knew you'd be fun to, to come on. So thank you again so much, Laura Clean, friend, coach, <laughs> super duper librarian, rock star. <laughs> Um, and hey, is the Daylilies playing out anytime soon? We actually, our next show is in June. I think right now we're working on some new stuff. We've been, we've got like four new songs we're working on. Also, as you know, um, we went into the studio a couple of months ago and recorded some drum tracks. So we're trying to get our next album out. Nice. So we've got some of that going on. But I think our next show is on June 15th. It'll be with Justine and the Unclean nice. and Chelsea Curve. Nice. Two uh, other female-fronted bands with some kick-ass singers. And um, that's going to be at Sally O's. And we may, uh, I don't even, we might do a couple little things in between now and then. But yeah, focusing on, on working on new stuff, which I love to do. I always love to do, you know, learn new you things. You guys going to come up with a cover? I don't know. We've talked about it, but we keep on having new songs. So that's, you know, it's kind of nice to have the luxury of, oh, gee, I've got this other new song. I know. Everybody wants to hear a cover, but (laughs) I totally get that you guys are playing very cool, kick-ass original music. Why the hell would you want to do a cover? Sometimes it's fun to do them, but I have to say that my favorite thing is to write and sing original stuff because it just feels... So Have you guys recorded any of your songs yet? Yes, one. Oh, wait, maybe. 
Which one, one. Was, which one was yours? Um, well, we, d we haven't recorded Girl Zoo officially, you know, but we have the drum track for it, and that is something that we've been playing out regularly. Okay. And I just brought a new song in called Holding Pattern that will probably, it won't be recorded on this next group because we already went in the studio for that. But, yeah, I've been, I've been really enjoying. And everybody in the band writes. Yeah. I, I mean. That's cool. It's really cool, and I like that somebody will bring in their idea, their song, and then it sort of morphs. It's like it goes through the Daylilies machine, yeah. and it comes out sounding differently. That's uh, a it's gift. It's starting to be a sound. And, you know, when you, when you work with a band, you start to develop that, and you, yeah. you, know, you get that cohesion. And you guys haven't really been playing together for that long, so that's pretty amazing that you have that cohesion already. Yeah, I really, I love feeling like a family i'm just such yeah. a, a group that's the thing that adam person. talks about the band all the time is that it feels like a family yeah it's just there's no drama zero yeah. and it just feels like fun like the other night we had practice and i wasn't really singing a lot because again steroids and all that stuff but at the end of practice um so adam was feeling ill so we didn't have a drummer yeah. so ad frank hopped on the drum kit and then i just started i just started playing some weird chromatic riff chord thing just making it up on the fly and i just started singing and i actually was singing about being sick you know and i was just kind of doing this weird gospel thing like heal me on the <laughs> chorus and stuff and uh, we were just jamming out and just being silly and it was so fun it's just you know, it's just such a great way to just let loose and have fun. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's it's really important to have fun somewhere I in your know, life. I know. Preferably everywhere, but, you know, at least one, one oh, or two gosh. places. <laughs> anyway, thank you. This was fun. This bump. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, Laura Clayne. This was Hi, Felicia podcast, and I'm your host, Felicia Ryan. Time to chase my fears again. Stir me, Archer. Time to brave the road again Skip out on what's old again Stir me archer Thank you.